why would I go, you know, spend all this money, fly across the world just to throw up, you know, and shit myself when I can just smoke this thing and have a 15 minute trip? <laughs> why didn't I think of that? Of course. <laughs> One of my main concerns is people serving who are not qualified and who are actually putting people in danger. You can certainly imagine and being in those darker moments yourself. If you mm. didn't have people who could take care of oh. you, things can go really dark. Welcome guys to another episode of the Your Mate Tom podcast. This is episode 22. We have Sophia Rockland, who is an anthropologist and the author of When Plants Dream, which I would highly recommend, by the way. We went really deep into psychedelics, obviously, shamanism, the dark side of ayahuasca, and among other things. This was definitely a very interesting podcast and Sophia has a lot of direct experience with not only ayahuasca but just the whole shamanic tradition and yeah she has a wealth of knowledge to share and I thoroughly enjoyed myself here and I learned a lot. If you aren't aware our podcast is also available on Spotify and iTunes feel free to give us a five-star review and if you receive any value from this content then please feel free to become a monthly supporter on Patreon. This channel is completely fan funded by you guys, so I just want to give a massive shout out to you, especially our top patrons. You guys really make this possible, so thank you very much. And yeah, you can also get some merch. Got some little cool third eye monkey here, among other cool psychedelic stuff. But yeah, man, enjoy the podcast and let us know in the comment section below what you think. And just one more thing, actually. Check out my website, yourmatetom.com, and feel free to sign up to our email list. Uh, you know, YouTube isn't exactly so kind with channels like myself, and this is sort of like uh, the best way to stay in direct communication with myself, just in case you know shit hits the fan. Because I had a video not too long ago that got removed, you know, which I've appealed, so hopefully it does get reversed. But yeah, you never know. So, yourmatetom.com. Well, that's it, man. Enjoy the podcast, and I'll catch you on the next video. Peace. I'd love to know how you got started in this plant medicine world and like what brought you to drink ayahuasca in the first place and how was that experience? Yeah, straight from the beginning, yeah. I guess. Um, well, let's see. I uh, My first ayahuasca ceremony was nine years ago, I guess now, nine years ago uh, on my... I'm terrible at math, so, <laughs> and I've told this story a hundred times over. It might be the drugs. Um, yeah, I guess, well, I suppose it was on my 19th birthday, um, on the evening of my 18th and 19th birthday. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it was, I, I guess I, I, you know, I'm born and raised in New York City and I've, I, I was, a, I, I guess I was a bit of what you call like a t rough teen, you know, I was right. really... <laughs> I, you know, I wasn't a stranger to mind altering substances or any of that. Um, bit of a troublemaker. A bit of a trouble. Yeah, I created a lot of trouble for myself, probably yeah. more than anything. Um, but you know, I guess without getting too much into it, I was always very uh, interested in 
uh, altered states through ritual, but also through acting, you know, through performance and performance and shamanism. You know, shamanism is a very performative craft in many mm. ways. So I started out as an actress, actually, and then I found that what I was really interested in was shamanism. And what I mean by that is, you know, the the act of transporting information from an, an invisible realm to a visible realm, from mm. the immaterial to the material, and being a kind of bridge between these worlds. Not that I myself see myself that way, but I was interested in these practices. Um, and from there, yeah, I, I heard about ayahuasca in a kind of hushed tone. Uh, I always think about it like in Harry Potter, you know, people would whis whisper Voldemort or something. <laughs> people, people had the same sort of reverential tone when they spoke about ayahuasca. That's and so and I was very curious about it. And my, more than anything, my sense rather than rather beyond the DMT or the LSD or the mushrooms conversation, as you generally hear it, is it sounded as if it was surrounded in a ritual context. And there was a, there was a memory of a deeper cultural use of this. And mm. that's really what drew me. Um, so that, that's the context for the first ceremony. <laughs> and the cer the first ceremony itself was in New York city, actually in a yoga studio. And wow. it was fair. It was fairly unremarkable. It was with a, a Taita from Colombia who was very well trained, and but it was a relaxed and soft experience. But really, what kept me coming back was the sense of community and the mm. ritual around. It. That was what was so interesting to me. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it's interesting because that's the the exact same thing that I appreciate most from this world is that the community and being with people who are on this same journey and just seeing with your own eyes the transformation it's really inspiring actually even if you don't drink just seeing people go through their processes it just never ceases to blow my mind you know and how was totally. how was your like experience in new york city versus the amazon jungle like oh my gosh <laughs> i mean jungle, i don't even you know, know. It's, it's you know, there's so many variables in that that it's really impossible to say because when I was starting out in New York City, I was a different person in many ways. Mm. I think in, I've had an interesting perspective because I got started quite young um, and me drinking in New York when I was 18 versus in Ecuador for the first times when I was 20, even when you're growing from 18 to 20, you're like a different person. In oh, many yeah, ways, for sure. You know? so, yeah. The internal experience was certainly shifted, but I, I did find that um, the orchestra or the kind of symphony of the forest plays a, an integral role in receiving messages. And also, I would say the diet for me, I'm a big uh, advocate of what, what is known throughout the Amazon basin as the dieta, a sort of practice of abstinence eating certain foods before and after and abstaining from the earthly pleasures in many other ways. Mm. And that is that just seems to be more emphasized and frankly a bit easier when you're in that kind of rainforest environment. And that makes all of the difference in the world. Yeah. For sure. And for those people who, you know, are new to this world, like what is the point of the diet? And what <laughs> what are, what are you specifically supposed to stay away from? Because there's a little bit of different opinions depending on which tribe you talk to, but there are definitely some, you know, similarities totally. like, you know, no pork and things like that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, dieta is the word that's just the colloquial Spanish term throughout the Amazon basin, which just means a diet. And mm-hmm. in the Shipibo, the people that I work with, I believe the people you worked with as well, yep. uh, they, they call it a sama. That's the name of the tradition. And the sama or the dieta is, I guess, throughout different Amazonian cultures, you could say it's um, it's a it's a it's a it's an a, pr- a practice of austerity and abstinence whereby you are seek you're setting out to learn the properties of or the personalities of different what they call master or teacher plants actually so in my you know musings i've come to think of it as an as an empirical method of investigation where people are emptying out the vessel of the body and abstaining from let's say very basically salt oil processed foods sugar sex um loud music media for us netflix you know mm. it would be really anything that is stimulating the senses and the intention is to really create emptiness in the body in order to receive and in this process of emptiness uh, which could be anywhere from seven days to up to 10 years which is what some of the elders used to observe um, it was in this Mm. state that you could start to perceive the subtle energies of plants and this purpose was done traditionally to accentuate or attenuate different senses so if you're a hunter you have a better sense of sight or smell right um there i think of them like uh software extensions or expansion packs you mm. know to the personality or to the spiritual senses good way to put it um yeah. And and that's the very basic overview. So the diet can be for healing, it could be for these like expansion properties, all of these sorts of things. But that's that's a general overview. Yeah. And and you know, I I've come to think of it like if you are fasting enough, you could even begin to have uh, visions from chamomile, right? It's every Whoa. plant has a different texture, or a sort of signature through their what we call them secondary metabolites. So these chemicals that they develop in order to communicate with the rest of the world. Um, And, and yeah, and, and that's kind of, so we know botanists have identified 391,000 species of plants. And I believe that we can potentially tap into all of those stations. So we're busy looking at TV, but we could look at the plant vibrations if we wanted to. Not encouraging anyone to go and eat handfuls of poison, you know, <laughs> but this this is the theory anyway. This is the method. Wow, that's really interesting because I, uh, I remember reading a book called The Cosmic Serpent and they called, it said something about ayahuasca is like the television of the forest, you know, mm-hmm. how you can commu- yeah. commune with these plants and really gain knowledge from just dieting these things. Have you yeah. dieted any specific plants outside of like, you know, I have. ayahuasca and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I have. I don't, I actually don't share what plants I've dieted. Um, and that's, and I do it for a particular reason, uh, which is that, you know, the mind is very suggestible. And, mm. you know, if I tell you I planted this, I, I, I dieted this and this, then you could go and say, oh, I, this is my experience. And I actually love how private and personal the experiences are. So, but yes, I've worked with several different plants and they all have very different um, teachings, I guess. Awesome. Yeah. Watch, uh, well, you don't have to, you know, um, disclose the plant, but what was your experience <laughs> like and how long did you diet it for? Sure. So, I mean, everyone is a bit different. Um, 
but you could diet. I've, I mean, my, my, you know, you could diet from seven days to a month. That's, that's about my sort of window. Yeah. Uh, a month is a pretty big commitment. It's a 12th of your year. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like heaps, yeah. <laughs> when you break it down that way, it's like a really long time to be, uh, typically almost alone in the forest and, not eating much food and in some cases not even drinking water for a few days and this is again ultra important that it's done under the supervision of a of a maestro or somebody who's mm. really well trained in this you're not just improvising and figuring it out as you go but yeah. you have you have people who are guiding you through this and um and yeah i mean i guess more than anything, I think it is probably the, they're the most challenging experiences of your life. They test you and you have your unresolved traumas and memories and neuroses and prejudices and all of the gunk of life comes and surfaces and is exploded and expanded mm. through a microscope. And it is your job to learn how to work through it. And through this, you become stronger. So I'm a very big, big fan of the diet. And I think that all world leaders would do very well with seven days alone in the forest. Uh, reassessing what it is to be human with the help of plants i think it's a, it's a that's my ecological party that's like that's the that's the party i vote for yeah um, that sounds intense uh, even just seven days and some shamans like the one that i worked with recently she did 20 months and oh, I, for, yeah. I forgot what the plant's called and probably for the best anyway but mm. she after that she gained she can do like psychic surgeries have you ever had an experience of shamans doing this um, maybe every time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. But like with, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So she would like, you'd have like, for example, an energetic blockage and then she'd literally suck it out and then it materialize mm. as something like a fishbone or a beetle or whatever. Mm. And I've seen this like mm. in broad daylight without the influence of medicine, mind you. So stone cold sober. And we yeah. had the opportunity to document this experience, but yeah, I was just mind blown about how you can gain something like this from dieting a plant you know what i mean yeah like, yeah they say uh, the the sequoia who are a community who live in ecuador they're a very small population now they're like 500 people um but they have a very old medicine tradition and one of the esteemed elders there don cesario uh was said that the, he said that the elders when they used to drink yahe or ayahuasca they mm -hmm. call it in, in that area um at the end of the evening they would actually find a new seed in their palms from the cosmos when they opened them in the morning because that was their ability to connect to the the creator and and it was through these journeys into the celestial realms that they brought back the fruits of abundance to earth wow yeah how do you even um, rationalize that kind of thing, you know? I've, yeah, you don't. You can't, yeah, because I've seen it with my own eyes. So it's like, I know it's real, but at the same time, it's like, phew, I don't even know how to explain something like this. I mean, you know, I, I'm a bit of, I'm actually, a, as I, I'm both a, both a believer and an academic and a skeptic, right. kind of like a good theologian. I'm always battling with my faith, you know, and I think... The sh shamanism is very much a performative craft and there is a lot of gesture and ritual and smell and even illusion sometimes. But I think in many cases, um, the, how do I say this? The, oh my gosh, it's late here. I forgot the word. <laughs> um, 
It was uh, the placebo. Yeah, the a right. placebo yeah. is actually a very effective medication, right? Like yeah. the mind is very, the most powerful tool we have. And if you can convince it entirely of the efficacy of something, then I think that's very valuable too. So not to say that these things don't exist. I've certainly seen things that my scientific mind just can't find words to express or can't get its head around. But um, Not yet. But anyways. I think not yet anyway. Yeah. But and that's actually that's what I like to do with this, you know, with the book that I wrote and just the work that I do generally is really creating a bridge between the spiritual and the scientific understandings mm. of things. And I think that there is value, actually, and uh, a possibility to merge these perspectives together. And one does not cancel out the other. They both exist in the same place. It's just about finding the right words to make sense of them. Exactly. Um, Totally. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, it's even like, you know, it's, once upon a time, electricity was considered to be magic because it was magic. this invisible force that we couldn't measure. Right. You know, so. right, right. Same thing. I mean, and that's what's so intriguing to me about, you know, ayahuasca and just Amazonian healing traditions in general is that they they when as westerners as we encounter them we are forced to reckon with our own paradigms of wellness and illness and what it means to be healthy or sick and they have different understandings in different communities even mm. and there are over 400 distinct ethnic communities in the amazon basin and each of them have their own slightly different versions of what it is to be a human you know mm. and um, yeah and I think, for example, with illness, you know, in our culture, we deal with illness very much on a hyper individualized, very personal uh, neurochemical level. Depression is simply a maladaptive response to you know, certain thing or it's, it's a different it's an imbalance in your neurochemistry when the healers I work with will say that it's a symptom of something that's greater. So the, the depression isn't the illness. It's just the symptom of a greater illness. And, mm. and I think that both of those exist. Both ideas can exist in the same, at the same time. For sure. And like, you, you, you've worked with like a few communities. Um, and like I've only worked with the Shipibo tribe. I'd love to know like your opinion on how these traditions how they differ and what are their approaches to ayahuasca if there is a difference mm, yeah well uh <laughs> i would say if there is a general understanding it's that it is a tool so right. in in our culture in the west or in any of us who are kind of media consumers we hear very often the story of ayahuasca being a healing brew right this kind of healing panacea um, and in the Amazon basin, we actually see a kind of different story. So Yahe or Uni, which means wisdom and Shipibo, they, they all have, they have diff many different names, the, the vine of the dead or the, the rope of the dead, um, or Waska is also believed to translate to bitter in some cases. So the right. names imply the different uses. But traditionally throughout the Amazon Basin, from what I understand and from the reading, and again, I'll never have a full picture of the whole thing, but we see that there is ayahuasca is used for everything from simply a purgative without the without as for example just the the ayahuasca vine without right. the DMT. So just a pure old purgative 
two in its ayahuasca form with the two plants, uh, a potion for witchcraft and sorcery and putting spells and hexes on people. Uh, in many cases, it's been a brew for divining the location of certain wild animals in the forest for hunter gatherer communities. This was very important and also healing. So it's a tool and the intention is vital. That's like the, the main axis upon which the medicine rotates from. Hmm. Yeah. And how are the ceremonies different from, let's say, the Shipibo versus uh, the ones in Ecuador or even Brazil? Oh, yeah. I mean, wow, there's such there's a major diversity in different ceremonies. Let's we could even just look at South America and then go to Australia. Or yeah, right. Yeah. Whatever you want to go. Right? And every everybody has a bit of their own flavor. Um, but let's say I mean, let's go to some people say, and this is a hotly contested claim I'm making, that the that the origin of ayahuasca or Yahe tradition starts in the tu- with Tucano speaking people. So these people live in Colombia and in Ecuador. And these include the Sequoia, for example. And okay. so the Sequoia, the Secopai people, or the you know, and then they, they intermarry with the Cofan very often. There's the Sinwa, the Coraguaje, the Mahaguaje, uh, very often tend to use a different plant, not Cicotria viridis as the Chacruna, but Diplopteris cabrirana. So okay. that's one difference. It's the actual preparing. And the ceremonies will happen in hammocks, actually. So you oh. don't sit down on the ground, but rather you are in woven Chambita hammocks. And that, and the intention is to stay as absolutely still as possible. Uh, Jonathan Miller Weisberger, who's who's a friend of mine, an amazing ethnobotanist, author of Rainforest Medicine, highly recommend the book. Okay, uh, he's he's studied with the sequoia for many many years, and he once told me that the, the legend goes that within the sequoia tradition, if you're in ceremony you are breathing so lightly that not even a hair would move under your nose if you held on there Whoa. or not even a, yeah you're you're almost at this like near death kind of state um yeah. and i do find that their ceremonies are a bit um i would say more spartan like you're drinking much bigger doses wow you're drinking all throughout the night so you start at sunset and you finish at sunrise you could even have your first cup when the sun is rising so Damn. you could you're really in it you're in the sauce for like 10 sometimes 12 hours yeah they go very hard that's um, hardcore man holy it's shit. really hard <laughs> yeah so when I started drinking with the Shipibo, I was like, is wow. this it? Like, wow, it's like a little, it's like a circus. It's like a wow. merry-go-round compared to the... <laughs> I've never even had a second dose before. It's like just one cup is enough for me. Oh, yeah. I couldn't no, imagine man, drinking they'll... throughout the whole night. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty... <laughs> yeah, and if you misbehave, you just get tied to a tree. Like, that's <laughs> kind of... Yeah, the vibe. You're just... That's hilarious. You're in it. Man. Wow. You're in it. So, and, like, and, then, and I would and assume then, with each cup, you're just going deeper and deeper and deeper, right? I mean, you know, just as well, it's not a linear thing. You no. can always be surprised. But yeah. uh, generally, yeah, I would say, yes, you, you tend to go deeper with the bigger doses. Wow. Um, yeah, I've certainly had some very in- interesting evenings there. <laughs> And then, yeah, and then the Shipibocon communities, by by contrast, uh, are much shorter ceremonies, anywhere from four, maybe six hours. Uh, they tend to start later. They end earlier. 
they use Sicotria viridis traditionally as the admixture and singing and ikaros, so the, mm. the traditional singing formation. It's a much more designed ceremony, I would say. And this is, again, in my experience and opinion, but it's impossible to say how these traditions and how these communities have evolved throughout over 400 years of Western presence in the region mm. and indigenous culture is always evolving too. So who knows what it really looks like. But And then on the a total opposite side of the spectrum, on the other side of South America, you'll find the Santo Daimi Church, yeah. or, which is a syncretic blend of... Uh, cardicism and uh, from like, you know, Western African magic rituals and Catholicism and indigenous animism. And it includes a lot. It's a very hierarchical social structure where people are standing up and singing songs all night long. And that's a totally different kind of ceremony. So... Yeah, different strokes for different folks. Yeah, it makes sense. Brazilians are very, like, even their Portuguese sounds like they're like singing almost. It's like, oh, obrigado, tada, And they're just like always dancing and stuff. That, that would be cool, though, yeah. having that experience. But um, Melodious. Yeah. yeah. In your book, you mentioned how it, the indigenous tribes weren't always mixing you know, the DMT plant with the vine. And that, that was like an introduction. Mm-hmm. That was like a fairly a relatively new uh, ritual. So can you explain a little bit about that? Like how far far does the tradition actually go and how long have we been mixing these two plants together? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in the book, we talk about um, kind of the, the contested archaeological history and background of ayahuasca. So Mm. very often in books, like you mentioned, for example, the cosmic serpent, people love to throw around this number for 5,000 years. Communities have been using ayahuasca in the Amazon basin. Well, first of all, it's barely possible to find a sneaker in the Amazon after three and a half months of leaving it out there. Like the forest eats up any evidence of human history, pretty much. Mm. I mean, you could ask Graham Hancock and he would tell you differently, but, um, you know, it's studying ancient traditions of the Amazon basin. But in any case, it's, you know, any, any, the, the quest to find archeological evidence for a liquid that has been drunk in the Amazon basin dating back 5,000 years is nearly impossible. Mm. So, there's an there's a guy who's an ethnomusicologist, uh, an anthropologist too, I believe. His name is Brebeck de Mori, and he studied uh, the the history of ayahuasca traveling across the Amazon basin because he wanted to bring up this question: How old is ayahuasca really? So what he found actually is through interviewing many different communities. Uh, asking the maestros or the elders or the teachers in each community, where did you learn how to drink? He drew a map of everybody pointing north. So it seems that the knowledge of how to drink actually was from what I mentioned, the Tucano region. So the the Colombian and Ecuadorian Amazon may have been the origin of ayahuasca. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And remember that with the rubber boom in in the 1800s, the early 1900s, you find mass migrations of indigenous people throughout the Amazon basin needing to flee their homes to escape terror. Mm. And uh, it's thought that actually ayahuasca for the first time was used as a healing 
medicine for trauma. And so communities who hadn't previously used ayahuasca started using it in hopes of finding healing. And that's how some of the more medical ayahuasca traditions emerged. I, I always thought that was a kind of interesting story or a take yeah. on it. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. So it hasn't mm -hmm. always, well, we don't know 100%, but it seems like... We just like don't I, know. Yeah. It hasn't always just been used don't as a know. medicine. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, we definitely don't know. I think, and at least, you know, in this, especially I would say the Shipibo tradition versus the Sequoia versus the Santo Daime is an extremely, I would say, medicalized or surgical sort of tradition. I think that they're mm. focused very much on doctoring the body and the mind and the spirit. Whereas in other communities, it's used more for communication with the spirits or the other entities and not so focused on healing the body. Yeah. Well, it's like you said before, I think uh, the word tool is a very accurate term for ayahuasca because like, mm -hmm. you know, a medicine can be a, a, the healing part of it could be a byproduct, you know, or, or, you know, it can be used for magic or communing with higher dimensions, like you just mentioned. So totally, yeah, who knows some divine, mysterious <laughs> technological yeah. tool i don't know and and my favorite thing really is the idea of how we found out how to use ayahuasca you know because it's a combination of two different plants of lord knows how many there are in the amazon basin the most di biodiverse terrestrial ecosystem oh. on earth and so exactly. with that wow wow yeah <laughs> so there's a guy named stefan Bayer, yeah. Stephen Bayer. I think it's Steve Byer. You read this book, Singing to the Plants. Singing it's a beautiful okay. book. Yeah, it's called I'll Singing to, to the it Plants. Um, it's a fantastic book. And uh, Byer worked with different mestizos, so mixed race and religious backgrounds, shamans throughout the upper Amazon in Peru, I think. And so he sort of hypothesized that uh, indigenous communities, well, he observed that indigenous communities in the Amazon basin are very much... Uh, meat eaters they eat a lot of meat mm -hmm. and many of them are also afflicted with bad cases of parasites so worms in the gut and it's very uncomfortable and because of these situations they've learned how to be very good at throwing up so through laxatives and through purgatives working with different plants in the forests they've become kind of alchemists at purging and so a theory goes that uh, the ayahuasca vine itself which is the monoamine oxidase inhibitor, the, the bark of the vine contains something called emetic tannins. So these tannins that cause a kind of purging effect. And so Bayer proposes that it could have been just by using the vine and then some guy going, hey, what if we added this into it too? That's how they stumbled upon. And the legend was the born. Yeah. And the legend, whoa, yeah. we're not expecting that. <laughs> They're opening that portal. Um, so that's, that's, that's an answer that wow. could satisfy, you know, any materialist, but I yeah, think okay. that there is certainly so much more that we don't know. And I, I, I still think that there are more mysteries that are not answered by Yeah. That. Yeah. Because like every, every shaman you ask, they have a different origin story for it, you know? Yeah. Like it's so interesting, you know, I just take it as like, okay, listening to a fable because who knows, but what you've just explained there, that has a more of a rational explanation mm -hmm. to it uh mm -hmm. and with, with yeah. shamanism because like in your in when plants dream you say that shamanism isn't a peaceful practice such as like mm -hmm. you know uh buddhist monks or whatever 
Can you explain to people listening at home who don't know much about shamanism? Sure. Why, why is it not a peaceful practice? <laughs> well, I would love to know what what part you read, like dig a little, a little bit more about like what you got from that part of the... the I mean, I guess I talk about the dark side of shamanism. Yeah, well, is that what you're referring to? Yeah, well, a little bit on that. So uh, from what I understood about shamanism not being a peaceful practice is because you're getting you're more in tune with like the spiritual warfare that's going on and having more, mm. being more mm. aware of not just the light side, but the dark entities and energies that, you know, plague this. Totally. Shamans have to like really be a warrior in that sense and be a bridge. Right. And, you know, yeah, that's kind of what I got. From yeah. It. It's I not mean, like just I, meditating, so... you know, <laughs> it's much totally. More yeah. Way. I think there's, there tends to be uh uh, an idea or what we call like a romanticization or romanticization. I can never get that word. Romanticization. <laughs> a, rom- <laughs> a, a romanticizing. I, let's right. just leave it at that. Okay. A romanticizing of shamans as being saints, right? So Westerners right. from no, our no. Judeo-Christian worldview see these people as enlightened gurus who are the plant teachers and masters and are who are either good or bad and a worldview that combines both good and bad yin and yang is nearly impossible for us to conceive of and that is in fact how it exists in the amazon there is both lightness and darkness in the world actually in general that's my mm. guess that's how yeah, it really yeah is, yeah you know? for sure <laughs> and so i don't think that there's such a dichotomous or a dualistic perspective of good and bad in the amazon and this very much applies for the arts of shamanism which include both the lightness and the darkness. Mm. And so even the plants themselves, for example, in the Shipibo tradition, plants have both a good side and a bad side, a light side and a dark side. Humans have a good side and a dark side. We're, we're, we are everything. We are the yin and the yang. And so with this, I mean, more than anything, it's important to remember that if you are working on, let's say you are a healer, let's say you are a shaman, if you're working with people that have experienced deep darkness or that have experienced trauma or that know these things, um, it's important to have not only a sympathetic, but actually an empathetic relationship to some of these realms. So not just say, oh, I guess I know how you feel, but actually have a deep, personal, intimate understanding with it. So not every shaman knows the pain of losing a child, for example, Mm. but they they have to heal somebody that has had that pain, right? But generally you 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 are become a a more efficient and a, and a more mature healer the more personal experience that you have and experience comes in all shapes and flavors so mm. um and, and you know i mean i would say what's what's the kind of the sexier side of this if you want to get into like the real nitty-gritty or <laughs> the darkness is uh you know, there are, there are rumors in, in Bruce F. Lamb's The Wizard of the Upper Amazon. There are mentions of people actually mis- mixing the blood of enemies into ayahuasca potions. Whoa, haven't heard that yeah. one before, but yeah. I believe it. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, who's to say, really? This is, That's kind of a legendary tale, but the point is we there's just so much we don't know. And uh, I think... I, I, I probably say it too often at this point, but I do believe that if you are going into the realms of your subconscious and the unknown, it is very important that you have a scuba diver with you, you mm. know, somebody who really knows those territories and who, who can go spelunking into the caves of the darkness with you, but they need to know how to navigate those places. So, 
And what what yeah. do you say to those people who? Because I get this a lot, saying that you mm-hmm. don't need a shaman; you should be your own shaman and do it yourself. I mean, I I guess this is where my conservative side comes out. I think you're just cheating yourself. You're cheating the tradition. You're cheating the practice. You could you. It's like. You could go to the gym and you could say, I don't need a trainer, but you're going to get a different. But, well, actually, it's a very bad. That's a bad example. Uh, what's a good example? Well, I actually use a, a similar example with like it'd be like learning martial arts on your own instead of having a master teacher to really teach you the way you're going to learn a lot. Kind quicker. Of. Yeah, yeah, that. But even deeper, like I don't know how to quite explain it. But for me, it's like. I could figure out this labyrinth on my own, or you could have somebody turn on the lights and unravel the labyrinth mm. and show you that it's not even a labyrinth and <laughs> enter into a different portal of consciousness. And you suddenly realize that you had no idea where you were to begin with. Like it's a t- entirely, I mean, to me, it's just, and even yeah. having worked with a variety of different healers, people in New York, and as a kind of anthropologist, I, I started off drinking with all sorts of bizarre characters, you know, I bet. And really, and a couple of people who were like, oh, kind of doing some shady stuff. And I it's just like night and day. It really is. And I think I'm extremely indebted to and grateful for the knowledge that my that my teachers possess and and I think a lot of the people who say I can do it on my own, I mean, you can, but I think that's also just kind of, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it. I think not only is it, I think it's dangerous actually more than anything. I think mm. it can be really dangerous and um, you want to be careful with that. Yeah. yeah I, oh, I agree. Cause I even uh, a year ago I had a, someone say that, Oh, you know, I've had a hundred positive trips. I've never had a bad trip. And you know, kind of that, Ah, oh, nothing bad can happen to me. And then six months later, she got such extreme, severe, traumatizing experience that she's like in a really deep hell now. Because you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Just because all it takes. That this is what I always tell people: is that all it takes is one bad trip. You know, you yeah. can have a hundred good ones. And this is not like I don't like spreading fear and stuff. But it's more like just better being safe than sorry and having I'd a say humility teacher. too humility yeah. you know we tend to go into these things with this heroic like wow look at me i'm such a badass <laughs> wobby blah, whatever yeah. but if you think about it look at our culture versus other cultures we are babies when it comes to working with psychoactive plants we have no idea no. our parents condemn it our bosses condemn it our culture condemns it versus look at cultures that have psychedelic ceremonies integrated into the fabric of their being i mean that's the sense of maturity through and generations grace. and generations right so yes yeah. so uh, you know what i'm saying and then we go like oh we're gonna do this weird thing and you say oh, i'm gonna make it myself <laughs> sure sure you can but i mean yeah, why would you pay a thousand dollars for a retreat if you can just spend thirty dollars and order it on amazon <laughs> you really do i mean I, yeah again I, and that's just my perspective to each their own i think people can have positive and beneficial experiences and again another thing that i think about is the sustainability of ayahuasca this is the big conversation yes. i have on my mind now so when people are just going on whatever the dark net and buying the i don't know where people buy this stuff but you <laughs> like grandma i think, I don't I know think it's actually yeah yeah, it's only once you mix yeah. it, it's that's when it gets tricky. Right. Yeah. 
Right. So, you know, people are making it and it's just, it becomes increasingly concerning to me where people are sourcing this from. And, and I know, I, I mean, my work right now is interviewing people in the Peruvian Amazon and asking what's going on with your vines. And we see ayahuasca Mm -hmm. robbers, we see really uh, unsightly stuff happening. And this is, this is not okay, you know, so. Yeah. So make sure you're getting it from somewhere where they're replanting yeah. And, and you know what? People will then say, well, how do I know? And the point is, is that we don't actually have parameters or any sort of indicators to, to identify best practices. But, you know, anyone out there listening, if you are buying, maybe you can get in touch with the person that's selling and say, hey, do you know where this comes from? And just start mm. to have that conversation. Just start to bring that awareness into the space. And if enough people start asking, there's going to be a bit more conscientiousness brought around the subject. And I For think sure. that that's the that's at least what we should start to do as we mature and this becomes more popular. And that's, that's I hope, I, I believe that that is the, the responsible path forward. Mm. And with that, just for a, um, like for people who want to do it and they might say like, yeah, but you know, I'm not this privileged rich person mm-hmm. that can just afford mm-hmm. thousands of dollars to fly totally. across the world. Like, but I really mm-hmm. want to drink ayahuasca. What do I do? I don't know. <laughs> really? I just, I just don't know. I mean, I, I think there are, I think there is, there are analogs, for example, which are not a substitute for ayahuasca, but ultimately it's very we just live in a world of finite research. I mean, and again, I'm not trying to promote any kind of elitism around it. It's kind of an impossible situation. You know, mm-hmm. we don't have like your, your universal health care where people are guaranteed ayahuasca ceremonies. And, and that's a serious issue that we see in the Amazon too, is most of the people who are privileged enough are white, upper middle or higher class people who can afford to take two and a half weeks off and integrate. Mm. That's a huge privilege that a majority of human beings on earth do not have. So acknowledging that, um, and also holding that contradiction of, well, you know, if everybody comes to the Amazon, are there is there are there enough real professionals who are doing this work? And that's that's the thing. And that's why I mean, these tra- I wouldn't say that's why, but remembering that these traditions are esoteric and they were traditionally not for everybody, for for just small sections of communities and initiates. So these are all contradictions and complexities that all of us bear in mind. And, and I wish I had a kind of easy answer, um, but I don't. And and, th- and again, some people might be saying, oh, well, you know, you should go to this ceremony and go to this center. And people are kind of opening up ayahuasca barns off of Highway 66 right. or whatever. You know? and, and that's, <laughs> I mean, there's, listen, the there are a million ways to do it. Find what works for you as long as in my humble perspective, you maintain a sense of humility and mm. gratitude and respect for these traditions and respect for yourself and respect for the people working around you, then, you know, go on your way. <laughs> Good luck. You know? Amen. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's we important. We do the best we can. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's important to be vigilant and uh, see that the shaman or the, you know, the teacher that you're working with has good intentions and they have a pure heart, you know? Totally. Totally. And, yeah. And just going back to shamanism, because like you touched on before how people kind of, like not 
all people, but some people view them as like saints or these holy people. And I had the same sort of experience when I went to India of how people treat sadhus mm. and then a lot of dodgy characters take yeah. advantage of hippies with good natures and they, yeah. basically, you know, they fuck them over basically. And a right, lot of them, are, right. I would say the vast majority of sadhus that I met in India were absolute frauds and charlatans and just trying to take your money, you know, and I was thinking that in the Amazon, it's probably a similar situation right? As long as there's money to be made, (laughs) the charlatans are going to flock to that. And like what? what, You said it. I know it's just a a guessing work, but like what percentage of shamans do you think are charlatans? Like, do you think it's a small, do you think it's a tiny percent that are actually (laughs) legit or like, what are your, what are your thoughts around this? I think it's nearly impossible to say. Um, (laughs) It is impossible to say. I would even begin to question the definition of what a shaman is, right? Right. Like you could call yourself a shaman if you're hanging out with your grandma in your dreams. Like that fits the definition that fits the description if that is your definition. So, or I could wear feathers on my head and go to Burning Man, and I could call myself a shaman. That works too. So, right. well, I guess just to yeah, shorten my definition. A shaman would be someone who's <laughs> dedicated, like it's his life path, their life path, and who's dedicated their life into working with a particular plant to help people mm-hmm, 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 with mm-hmm. all of their commitment. Well, and if that is all of your commitment in your work, then I don't think you're a charlatan. Mm. Right. Yeah. But I, again, I mean, of course, you said it earlier where there is money to be made, you're going to find some dodgy things. And typically, I would say as a good rule of thumb, you do not really probably want to go to the first ceremony with the first guy who has a T-shirt on that says, I'm a shaman. <laughs> you know, it's just somehow it's like a red arrow pointing. I'm a shaman. Follow me. Totally, yeah. totally. Or or you do because that's your style and you like somebody that's a little unpredictable and rowdy and maybe that person has their own unique medicine, which is very interesting. But typically for from a historical perspective and the you know, the little that I know, elders who have worked for many years alone in the forest are not so interested in advertising their work, but really their genuine connection to mm. working with these plants serving them for the greater good and that does not translate so well in a marketable context so these are things to bear in mind but yeah it's it's a great question you know very very interesting because like every time i go to iquitos i just start to notice more and more like the dark brujo side of it oh yeah there's a it's intense man especially the what's that market like belen Oh, and, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that market was crazy. I remember seeing like literally hundreds of vultures eating like alligator meat. Like it's just something you see mm-hmm. from like a Harry Potter movie, <laughs> like Diagon Alley, right? Yeah, <laughs> with like that's goblins. Funny. I like, never eh, thought about that. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah, Berlin as Harry Potter market. Yeah, yeah, pretty it's much. It's true. I remember yeah. I, saw, I saw like a <laughs> the weirdest thing I saw was. A pink dolphin vagina in oh, a yeah. jar. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah. <laughs> and we asked, like, why do you have this? Is this, like, for a spell or something? He's like, oh, no, it's just to get your attention. It's just for, just for looks. Like, okay. Yeah, they say that, right? Because well, I don't think they're going to tell you what their de- their secret ingredients no are way. for their potions either. <laughs> Even the, you know, they the don't one that made me laugh was uh, Mata Suegra, which is kill your mother-in-law. It's a potion yeah. you can drink. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah. I was just thinking, like, imagine if this is like 
they're showing this for the public. Imagine what's like behind the counter. You know oh yeah. I mean? Like I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. That. I mean, and that's but you know, you also find that stuff in China too, right? Like oh, trafficking okay. animal parts and, anywhere around the world. Who knows like, human I parts. I mean, people in Af- parts of Africa also, like in South Africa, I think there's Congo, there's some funky, funky stuff out there, some secret ingredients for some secret brews whose efficacy we never know of. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you could certainly, even without looking at ayahuasca, just go into a very interesting wormhole studying Amazon, Amazonian folk medicine. It's pretty amazing. Or in Mexico and mm. really all over the world, voodoo medicine, I mean, voodoo medicine. Well, sure, because it's not yeah. necessarily just the ayahuasca or whatever. It's just humans, you know. We have we're very polarizing beings that can go to the light side or the dark side, and we can use tools for either or. So, totally. what, what are your thoughts yeah. on uh, Daytura? Because I know that this is a very popular mm, plant for dark magic with brujos. That's, this is what I get told mm-hmm. every time I go to the Amazon, and I, you know, I, I remember asking a shaman, and he said that it's not that Daytura is bad but it definitely leans more towards the dark side and it can be very easy for it to be used in a ritual that can be used to hurt others and stuff. What do what, yeah, yeah. What about this? Yeah, it's a great question. So I guess you're referring to the, the it would be Brugmansia suaveolens, which is the Brugmansia plant. Um, and it's this oh, beautiful doe plant. Is what they call it, right? Doe. Yeah. yeah, they call it toe, exactly. And it's this beautiful plant that grows on a kind of a large shrub or a tree. Uh, and it has, and it, in bloom, it has these long, pendulous sort of flowers that look like angels' trumpets. Angel's and they're. Trumpets, yeah. They're very beautiful. They're very fragrant. They come out in these white or pink flowers. They tend to bloom with the with the full moon. And um, interestingly, they on, they don't exist in the wild. They only exist where humans cultivate them. So they are human loving plants. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. and they, mm-hmm, yeah, and um, and I mean, you know, I I won't say too much about this plant, but it w- what is important to know is that it contains psychoactive. Oh my gosh, I'm blanking out now. Um, psychoactive alkaloids. What are they? Um, whew, it's going to come back to me in a minute. But um, in any case, they that are known to kind of stupefy or in some cases cause cardiac arrest. Um, and it, it's important to know that this also causes some visual hallucination. So some people, uh, in an interest to give tourists a bang for their buck, will add just a little leaf of this flower or a little petal into the ayahuasca brew in order mm-hmm. to make it have more visions. Um, and some people have had very averse reactions to this admixture. And this admixture uh, can cause delirium, sweating, chills, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, much like ayahuasca, except in a much darker sort of longer way. So a trip can last up to 24 hours, but it feels like 240 hours. Time distorts. People mutilate themselves if they're not under proper conditions. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to get too into it, but so it is very much within these traditions, a plant of initiation. And this means that it is after many, many diets and after many, many years of practice that, you know, within again, this tradition, the Shipibo tradition and the Sequoia tradition, uh, you will, you know, stay very far away from this plant until your maestro who they themselves, they themselves have taken this plant will, 
you know, say it's time to take that plant. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm cannot believe I for I'm forgetting the name of what's happening, the, the chemistry of this plant. Oh, like I, I remember seeing a documentary on like Vice made a documentary about the seeds, scopolamine or something. Oh, scopolamine. Yeah, there scopolamine, we go. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. And so and it's, like blown it's in into the people. devil's <sighs> breath. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Devil's breath. Oh, thank you. We were gonna, I was going to go nuts not remembering that <laughs> scopolamine. Thank you. Yeah. And actually scopolamine was used, I believe, by German chemists. It was like they were very interested in it as for its ability as, a, as an anesthetic and as uh, as an aid for giving birth. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. For pregnant at the time. women. Yeah. That's crazy. What an what a extreme half of like, oh, helping <laughs> ease the pain for pregnant pregnant woman or dark magic yeah yeah i've also actually heard uh rumors that hoffman albert hoffman and his various experiments with lsd and and ultimately arriving to lsd 25 that he was looking for uh some medication for 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 to alleviate pregnancy pain um other people have said headache medication. I'm sure there's some very seasoned psychonaut out there who knows somebody who knows Hoffman. I, I could look this up myself and figure it out. But I, I always think that's interesting that a lot of these medications are looked helping, trying to help birth. And they kind of yeah, a, <laughs> very different a, results in our a, culture. Yeah, it's a fascinating plant. It's something that I don't think I'll do in a million years. One, well, ne- mm-hmm. never say never, but... I have very great trepidation when even thinking about doing Tatura or Brugman. No need or whatever. to, also, you know. No, <laughs> no I know. Need to. I know. I, le- I learned that. Coaster. I kind of learned that lesson with even ayahuasca three years ago, and I had a really mm. traumatic, dark, psychotic trip, and that just left me mm. scarred for mm-hmm. ages. But mm-hmm. now that I look back, because I just had a recent ayahuasca ceremony, and it was like. It was a lesson for me to learn to like be overly focused on the physical realm, the human dimension without, you know, traveling too much on these spirit realms because I was too eager to, I had this desperate energy of like needing to heal or needing to work on mm. myself or whatever when I just needed to focus mm-hmm. on just, and it's so cliche and things that you hear your whole life, but just like cleaning your room, just building your relationships like working out you know what i mean like but actually doing it yeah the simple things the The simple simple things things. simple life exactly matthew who's the founder of uh the place that i work at the temple of the way of light in peru he says i love this thing he says he says there's no integration without integrity and what we talk about integrity is really having integrity with your words. So, you know, yes, I will call my mother. Yes, I will start that podcast. Yes, I will exactly. clean my room, whatever it is. And exactly. it seems we get these messages in the visionary realms, but it's fen- it's amazing how easily we kind of forget them because we are not committed to our word and we are very good liars. So yeah. to learn to actually be true and to really step up to the plate, uh, that's a whole other game right there it's one thing to get the message it's another thing to actually to actually execute upon it yeah and follow through definitely and mm-hmm. that was a you know a hard lesson that i needed to learn and especially mm-hmm. with that you know like you were talking about before like that heroic approach that some people have like oh i want to have a big dose this time or whatever it is you know mm-hmm. and that one just set me off the edge and now i'm like so ultra conservative like i'll start yeah. with like a quarter cup and like just really yeah. like for i've like, definitely learned the lesson 
for sure. I'll just podcast about ayahuasca instead. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) Uh, But I would love to um, ask your opinion about what, like, what are your thoughts on smoked DMT versus ayahuasca? Like, some people might think, like, why would I go, you know, spend all this money, fly across the world? just to throw up, you know, and shit myself when I can just smoke this thing and have a 15-minute trip. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? Of course, we should just be smoking. What the heck? I gotta quit my job. What am I doing here? Uh, no. <laughs> um, of course. Uh, well, I mean, okay. So, so my thoughts on the difference? Okay, well, here's the thing. I think it's important to... I like to say that ayahuasca is not just ayahuasca, right? It's not just the brew, but rather a complex tradition and series of practices of song, scent, smell, Mm. shamanism, this whole divine kind of embroidered ceremony really which is which is it's just many different things put together and their tradition it's human memory it's all of these different aspects it's the jungle working together with the potion it's the diet that comes before and after and during the ceremony it's all of these different things so comparing that to being at boom festival and stopping behind a tree and blasting off is already very different, Mm. right? It's going to be a very, very different experience. So even subtracting the ayahuasca from the experience, it's the whole culture and the pretext, all of that stuff around it is is vital, I think, too, when you're considering, you know, the the differences. And I'm not like saying one is better than the other. I think that they're, it's like comparing apples and oranges. They're just totally different, you know, different, different realms we're talking about here. For sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that kind of answers your question (laughs) around it a little bit, but yeah, yeah, so it's, it's not just that it's the ceremonies, the traditions, the culture, it's all of those different things. And this all must be kept in mind. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, like you said before, it's, it's the, the preparation that's like part of the ceremony, just that right there. And you having that commitment of flying across the world and meeting these people, even that is healing in and of itself, just being with a bunch of people. It's and not I, just would, about I would, I would, yeah, 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 and not even the, not even flying, you know, but saying I'm going to be, right, not, I'm not going to eat cookies for a week, like f- for what other thing do you, maybe for Lent or something, but you get the idea. It's, it's really making a commitment to yourself, your integrity is at stake, and I think that this is a unique experience that many of us don't put ourselves through because remember we're a culture of consumerism and it goes against every to not consume Mm. goes against everything that we are taught in our culture. And so it is quite a countercultural thing at its core actually to do the dieta and all these practices. And I think that that's, what's so interesting about these practices now is they're really asking us to confront an entirely different paradigm of what it means to exist with our environment it's entirely different a hundred percent yeah and it's even like drinking the brew in and of itself it's like you got to go through this like bitter disgusting thing and then like you got to feel uncomfortable and it's like a, a warrior initiation in a sense you know? yeah it's not coca-cola <laughs> <laughs> versus just smoking and you know right. I've, had, I've had interesting experiences with smoked dmt but quite terrifying ones but i found it that it's for myself, personally speaking, that it's been very, like, 
you just shoot up into hyperspace you come back you're like what the fuck was that like it's so hard to process and integrate that into everyday reality for myself mm-hmm, anyway i can't mm-hmm. speak for it. i'm sure there have been people who smoke you're DMT not the and... first person i've heard who said that <laughs> yeah but with yeah. ayahuasca i found it a little bit more uh, it was easier to absorb the experience just f- from the very fact that it was spread out to four to six hours you know totally Right. Yeah, exactly. It's, but even then, I mean, it, it can also be quite difficult sometimes because you're like, is this the beginning? Is this the end? Am I in the middle of it? <laughs> and sometimes it comes in it's waves. Not... You think it's over. <laughs> it just right. ramps back Surprise. up. Yeah. We're back. We're back. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it's not quite what we call the businessman's trip, the DMT kind of pack in and pack out, you know, uh, the, the two-minute collapsible tent kind of situation versus building a whole castle over the course of six to eight hours exactly. or 12 hours if you're really into it. <laughs> However, I will say that because I, I tried supple, the 5-MeO DMT toad for the first time, and that was like, pff, holy crap. I was like, I think the most profound experience of my life for such a, yeah, I know it was like, mm-hmm. relatively speaking, it was a short experience, but man, I, there's no words. There's do, no words. Do you feel, yeah, I was going to say, well, you say it's profound. Do you, do you feel that you can, that you received them, received messages or insights from that realm? Or it was just so the intense. Way, okay, the way... So my intention for this experience, and this was like, you know, I, I, it took me seven years from starting my psychedelic journey to even build up the courage to do this. And my intention for this was to let go of like... I've I always hold held this like existential terror of dying. Not death itself, but just the process of dying and grieving and... I can conceptualize death in a way that's like, okay, once we go, we just we continue, blah, 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 blah. But I never had a direct experience of that. And Sapo mm. gave me that. I just died and merged with God. And it was like that overwhelming feeling of everything's okay. You're protected. This is where you come from. This is where you're going. But then I came back to earth and I was just immensely grateful to be back here, you know, because I love this place. Yeah, I love it. Like, thank <laughs> God, I mean, this place was amazing, but thank God I'm back here. It was yeah, like a brief, yeah, a brief moment of eternity. <laughs> but some people yeah. have the opposite effect, and they have like derealization, and they don't, they want to live in that place. Like, no, I don't want to go back to this human place. I, I want to go back there, and then they get mm. like disconnected with this reality. I'm not even talking specifically supper, but just I've just heard stories right. psychedelics in general. Um, right, right, yeah. And you know, some people can have really traumatic ones that they don't recover from at least not right away like for me it took mm. quite a long time what advice would you give mm. to people who have had a really heavy psychedelic Ooh, experience yeah. and how do you like because sometimes like you drink ayahuasca you have this profound experience and then you go back to like you know the matrix into your job totally. and like your old friends group and then it this gets overwhelming like, and ah, what the heck just happened like, yeah ah. yeah it's a great yeah and i think now we are in the middle of this psychedelic renaissance and we see more and more people taking psychedelics without the appropriate cultural context or Mm. social groups or friendships or any of these things to make sense of their 
their trips, right? So I've worked in psychedelic harm reduction before, and there's a kind of saying in the community there, there are no bad trips, they're just difficult trips. Mm. And I think that this is an important term to discern here is when we say a thing is a bad trip. So this sucks, this is terrible, I'm in this dark place, da, da, da. You, are, you, are, you are digging a hole for yourself and you are not finding value in it. Um, I think it's helpful to understand that you need to go through this darkness if you are ever to go through, right? You can't just, you can't just squish it out. And so mm. what, can, what has been helpful for me in the past when I've been in these dark places, obviously accepting that you're in them, but also saying, hey, this is a part of my process, honoring, respecting that difficulty and the darkness and, um, and understanding that it is a part of the process as it unfolds and just trusting in the process. And I think more than anything, the thing that gets people tripped up is the fact that they feel like, oh, my God, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be having this kind of thing. This is a bad thing. This is wrong. And that puts people in a state of panic and despair. When we can actually open up and start to accept these things, that's when mm. values and movement starts to move through the shadows and the difficulty and is it always this way like for example there's one thing let's say you know facing your own unconscious repressed memories or whatever and then could it be another thing actually going to contact with a genuine malevolent energy like you know what i mean like is there certain situations where you shouldn't surrender and let go and move mm. to the next room yeah, you know, this is something that I'm like still kind of battling with my mind because I've had these. Well, what do instances. you think? I'm curious. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, well, now because it's hard when I first started, but now that I've had at least a little bit of experience and I know what's my shit and what's something else, but sometimes I feel like I go into contact with such a profound level of malevolent energies that's literally just trying to consume me or take me over to their side. This is how I interpret it during the experience mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm, in this mm -hmm. situation i'll do anything i can to like anchor myself to being human like breathe remember my intention and don't let them mm -hmm. like no you don't have permission to to mm -hmm. consume me you know just be very mm -hmm. kind of uh just vigilant and have that just groundedness you know mm -hmm, like no mm -hmm. fuck off get the fuck away from me you don't have you don't you do not have permission to enter my soul and i'll eventually just battle that out until it moves on Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's 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 like really extreme. Like I can just I just know in my soul that it's like Totally. Uh, I don't know. And I know this sounds crazy for people listening at home, but like <laughs> I've I had really ex like tough experiences of like, you know, facing my dark self and my shadow and repressed traumas and things like that. And they're very terrifying and horrible to go through, mm -hmm. but I know that it's myself and then once I get through that it's like ah oh, I feel so yeah. much better and I shed off that weight. Whereas in that case that I was just talking about before, it's like, oh, I don't know. This feels like something, like some evil shit trying to get into me. I don't know. Right, right. Is it all in my mind or is there external forces? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm certainly not the, the, not the judge on that. But what I would maybe encourage as a, as a, as a way, as an approach is to see if you can meet these beings with love and not mm. with like, oh, you need to get away. Yeah, you stay away. We're here to hurt me. This other thing, whatever that story is. But um, mm. seeing maybe if there is a possibility to understand their purpose, why they're here, while still maintaining your own boundary. Um, 
and and meeting these things from a place of of good intention and actually having a conversation with them rather than a yeah yeah just asking what are you up to what are you doing here and and again you could be a literal entity out there for all i know or more likely and and also for example and or um an aspect of your own consciousness exactly. and your own being right and and i and i find that generally in myself and I, the, the most i can speak for is my own personal experiences um meeting these darker places from a place of tenderness and care often has a really really amazing result yeah you actually find that there are parts of you that are scared and neglected and uh, yeah. have been have been drowning and have been hurt and have been um, suppressed for a long time and just needed attention and are screaming for it. Interesting. And then you can project yeah. that as an external force, but it's like a mm-hmm. yeah, an unseen part. And of again, that's that's my interpretation today. I, I I couldn't. I certainly wouldn't. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychotherapist. Mm. I, I would not take my advice as any sort of like a professional advice, but. This is, you know, from my own time in the path. That's something I've, I've but, come to understand. But it's, you hit the nail on the head when you say, like, approach it with love. Because even now, uh, like, three years ago when I had that traumatic trip, I freaked mm-hmm. out, had one of those, you know, infamous nights <laughs> <laughs> that I had to get pinned down and everything. And yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that night, which, that, what I was just talking about, like, you know, being in the presence of this dark, malevolent energy... I went to the same place as I did three years ago, except that this time I was like, I was more prepared. I'm like, oh shit, I'm going down, I'm going down this route again. again. Like, oh fuck. <laughs> but like, even though internally I was like freaking out and it was like just overwhelming darkness on the outside, I was actually very composed. Like, oh, excuse me, I'm kind of struggling here. Can I get some? I asked for lemon juice because I knew that the medicine was just going to intensify, intensify. So just anything that could help lower the effects. Again, whether that's placebo or not, it works anyway. <laughs> but yeah, that's... Did it yeah. work for you? But uh, f- while well, it turned the intensity from 11 out of 10, which I, I just couldn't handle, to yeah, about right. a 10 out of 10, where I was just... Oh, great. <laughs> Love it. That's better. Like, that's oh, all right. I'm skating on ice here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's like playing a video <laughs> game on the most extreme difficulty setting. It's like, it's really difficult, but you can, you can do it. Right. And I guess that, right. that whole lesson, what I learned was that I had the inner power within myself to get through that darkness, you know? So it was actually really beautiful in the end. And I had those moments of like, oh, fuck, you idiot. You got trapped into this thing again. I'm never drinking ayahuasca again. All this. All this why know? am I here? <laughs> why? Why would I do this to myself? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, exactly. yeah. You know you're in the right place if you're. that's what you're saying. <laughs> Yeah, I dude, there oh, was even a geez, point. Here we go again. <laughs> there was even a point because I've never done this before in, during a, a dark trip. Was I, I prayed for Jesus because I didn't know what else to do. I'm like, fuck, I, I don't, I need help here, uh, yeah, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and then a voice yeah. came back to me and it said, "Jesus ain't gonna save you here, pal." I was like, oh fuck. Oh, yeah, it was very oh, yeah. unsettling, but <laughs> it was actually a, a really beautiful thing because I had to rely on myself. And I went through mm-hmm. it because imagine if Jesus mm-hmm. did come and save me. Oh, yeah. Then I would just you'd be like, well, I'm useless. Well, no, yeah, then exactly. now you'd be at a, at a where would you be? You'd be at a, a Christian summer camp. Yeah, yeah. Uh, chopping I wood, carrying water. He saved me. <laughs> yeah, 
but no, no. it's just a it's still a psychedelic podcast yeah. well it's funny because i get a lot of um, i don't know if you do but i i get quite a few messages from like christian evangelicals who like you know preach that this is like basically dark voodoo magic and i should preach to g Je- no pray to jesus and that if i'm ever in a dark <laughs> place preach to jesus. yeah preach to jesus hey jesus go drink ayahuasca <laughs> but like you know they'll, they'll say like you should pray to jesus especially when you're in these dark times and that's exactly what i did but he didn't come <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I don't know. Well, I don't know. Do you get like a lot you, of? Uh... Did you meet Jesus with love? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I guess I was scared. <laughs> so I mean, I might be, I might be uh, cursing myself here. I might be hexing. I'm knocking on wood right now. Um, but actually, I have not had. I, I mean, I've had a few. What would Jesus do? Kind of people engage with my content and my work, but I generally find that. I mean, I hope, and maybe I just, you know, my my messages haven't been broadcasted widely enough. Um, that I do offer a more kind of intermediary perspective, and I'm not necessarily leaning too deeply into one edge or the other. But I'm mm. kind of a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a witness here, and I'm and I'm just seeing things as I experience them. And um, and yeah, I, I I approach it as an academic too. Right. So that, that leaves me a sense of cool distance from the whole situation. Exactly. Conveniently, conveniently, I would say. But who, who's to say in the future? You know, at some point you will have to stand up and, and articulate what you really believe in. And I believe for the freedom of these plant teachers and for the, for the value of indigenous wisdom. And uh, I will not shake. I will not move on that. So mm. we'll see. Yeah. How, yeah, I, I, you get a lot of those messages. I wouldn't say a, a lot because I'm pretty open-minded and I'm not married to my ideas. You know what I mean? Like if I find something that will contradict everything that I believe in, I'll have to drop it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So right, right, yeah. But you know, like I guess with the whole Christianity thing, I like personally, I look at it as just a a very useful kind of mythology and, and storytelling and. I just look at the lessons and what the stories tell without getting too obsessed or attached to the literal meaning of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, and who's to say what is, is meaning truth is meaning ultimate truth. Right. I mean, it's, we are all, I, I am of the belief, I'm a bit of a constructionist in this way. I think that we create our reality very much by the words and the ideas and the perspectives. And oh, you yeah. don't see the world that I see the world, that my mom sees the world, that my dog sees the world. We're all having our own unique interpretations of reality. And I don't think that wow. there is one way <laughs> to see it. And so we, kind of grapple in the dark, grope in the dark for words that create some sense of mutual reality consensus. But in reality, I think that there is no singular reality. And so whenever people are talking about psychedelics, and I, I saw the ultimate truth with a capital T, I, I always... Exactly. For me personally, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is a good thing to maintain a a bit of a a, a, a big pinch of salt with any of these lessons that oh, you're trying. Oh yeah. To... Well, it's uh, <laughs> you know even with truth or even you know a lot of people might not like to hear this, but just because you have a direct experience with something, it doesn't mean it's the ultimate truth. Because totally, ultimately, yeah. it's going to be your interpretation of your experience, and your experience right. is going to be based on your 
past experiences and your foundation perception and your upbringing and so mm-hmm, many different exactly. factors. So totally, and your lens of seeing things, and yeah, for sure. For you know, sure. I heard because, like, even with the five meo DMT, there's like a, a small group of elitists who's like, no, smoke five meo DMT, and you will see the ultimate truth that you are a god, and like all this, like they're <laughs> so convinced that like if you have this experience, then you'll know what I'm talking about. And I had that experience. I I finally did smoke five meo DMT, and yeah, from my perception i merged with god but i still came back here and i was like no i'm still tom i'm a human being living this relative experience sure if i die i might go to that place but right now i'm here and i've got work to do Mm -hmm. pretty much Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know i didn't didn't come back with this you know with that exact perception and then it it goes to show like is it like your belief systems going into these experiences that's going to shape your experience Mm -hmm. i I think so. But of course, how of course. how couldn't yeah. they, you know, how couldn't they? I mean, I think in the case of 5-MeO and these really blast off experiences, it's very hard to grasp on to any uh, preconditioning that we have, right? You that in, mm. in those ego death experiences, you are very briefly in moment have a moment with uh not being in touch with that your whole story and so on but you do snap back into it but i mean not to not to be a, a grumpy reductionist but i think <laughs> like probably extreme skiers might say the thing, same thing like well it's when you do that thing that you really see the light and you exactly. will be i mean I, it's, it's a silly it's a silly com- you know but you get the idea yeah um, yeah, yeah the latest in every yeah, community for so. sure. yeah <laughs> uh, yeah but the five meo people are very funny if there are any of you listening it's really love you guys yeah. but it's totally and when i do my tour with shane people always come up to us like <laughs> yeah but have you tried 5-MEO you know so, alright like, like I'm good I don't need to add any more drugs to the exactly. list of drugs that I've done like, no I'm but you really don't know anything until you've tried 5-MEO oh sorry yeah, let me walk out I'm like oh, shit, and then another drug is going to come out and they're going to be like uh have you done yeah. this? Oh, well, you yeah. don't know nothing. 5-MEO, like, that's uh, child's have play. Have you done ayahuasca? Yeah. Like, man, you don't even know. <laughs> you're going to try a different one. Yeah. And, and then it's always... <laughs> dose dependent as well because i've had like extremely high mushroom doses that i've found have been more intense than most of my ayahuasca experiences Mm, yeah not to you know put this battle of hierarchy but like it can get really freaking intense Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah mushroom medicine is real it used to be in tradition and ceremony much like i mean not exactly like ayahuasca ceremony but it was a it was a ceremonial substance you know yeah. I feel like even pharmacologically, it's very similar, like in terms of like it's got psilocin, which is similar to DMT, and they found that it's got an MAOI. They found a sci- they oh, had a scientific really? breakthrough. Yeah, I didn't know that. Oh, Crazy. And it makes sense, doesn't really it? <laughs> wow. So psilocybin mushrooms have a monoamine oxidase yeah. inhibitor. I must look this up. Okay, that's super interesting. And hmm. so this kind of because you know how we have all, all these scientific studies on s- the isolated psilocybin molecule. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. is that going to be different to having the whole mushroom? You know, is that right? Gonna, that's going to kind of throw a wrench in the in the in the studies, totally. at least in terms of like yeah. mushrooms themselves. 
So. Yeah, and then you look at the entourage effect and all of the different kind of metabolites and chemicals working together. Which I mean, species I'm, most, of I'm, I'm a plant in? person. I'm not much of a mushroom person, so I don't. I mean, I I I I, I hang out with the mushroom people, but I I study plants. Um, nice. But yeah, I mean, with ayahuasca, for example, it's like you know, you could just say basically. The ABCs of ayahuasca is you have an MAOI and a DMT, and the DMT allows for the the sorry the MAOI allows for the DMT to pass through the blood blood brain barrier, mm-hmm. bind onto serotonin receptors, and then that's the you know the jazz happens. But in reality, you also have a host of different beta carbolines, harmine, harmaline, tetrahydroharmine. Uh, all of which may have their own unique psychoactive attributes that we just don't know enough about. So, and that's not not to mention all of the other different plant aspect, you know, the whole combination of things. So we basically know nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. In conclusion, conclusion. we don't know shit. Yeah. Yeah, No, not anything. It's true though. And even like with, imagine all the alkaloids that we haven't discovered within these plants, like just, I've just told you now about the mushrooms and the MAOI. Like, that's just recent. Like, yeah. imagine all the other oh, stuff yeah. that we don't know about. So, yeah, there's, yeah, I can't wait to find out more. I mean, yeah. even, even for, I mean, even, it's just funny as I study more botany and chemistry, just realizing it is just an endless path of investigation and the mm. most learned published and republished science will not know this aspect of the plants right it's in in specializing and in getting deeper and deeper into just one aspect you are obscuring generally other aspects of knowledge and inquiry so it's even the person who knows the most about it doesn't know huge we just have blind spots with huge blind spots that we don't even know about so and i kind of love that actually i love knowing that well there's always something we don't know and some people find a lot of fear and anxiety in that uh and i think it's the psychonauts that tend to really love the great unknown the great mystery adventure time you know Let's go totally. and explore. Well, let's go here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not like I need to turn on the lights and can't the turn off the music. What's yeah. happening at this party? Who who put it together? But just being with it and observing it from a different angle and not needing to reduce it and pick it apart and make sense of it all, but actually just have that experience of it. I think that there's a lot of value to be gained from that. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, everyone has mm-hmm. their different roles and that's what makes life so special. Totally. Endless adventure. Yeah, I'd, love, um, I'd love to finish off this podcast and talk about like the legality side of ayahuasca and the research and how how's that going? At least in the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, there complications. You know. Yeah, I'm shivering in my boots. I don't want you to ask me about the legal status of ayahuasca in Australia. I know that it's a it's a kind of a, it's a I mean, I guess in different. Well, let's say, let's start with the United States. You know, we so, yeah, stick with the United States. Don't worry about it. Yeah, let's stick with the States. So, I mean, remember, it's a, we have a drug. We have a scheduling system 
schedule one through five and ayahuasca or the what's known as the active molecule in ayahuasca dmt dimethyltryptamine Mm. is a schedule one substance and schedule one very simply means there's no known medical value or use for this substance and cocaine for example is schedule two Mm. (laughs) um that makes sense so yeah (laughs) but but of course you know um and obviously (laughs) uh and Again, so this is just one idea of understanding the scheduling system. And the scheduling system sort of maps on to how people, law and legislation is then developed around the, the, the per- public perception of these substances. So ayahuasca is, because it contains DMT, an uh, illegal substance. Um, I will also remind the general audience that we have DMT in our bodies. We have it in our cerebrospinal fluid. We have it in our liver, our urine, our feces. We find it in many different plants and animals. And so it's a kind of funny thing to say, you know, I guess it's I guess it's because ayahuasca is made active with an MAOI. That's but that's not, you know, it, it, nobody says that anywhere in the papers. That's just DMT yeah, yeah, yeah. Italy. <laughs> Um, and we, I will say also, I think anyone who is really interested in studying the, the specifics of ayahuasca legality in different regions, um, there's an organization called ICERS right now, International Center of Ethno- Ethnobotanical Education and Research Services, and they are uh, at the kind of front lines of all of the legal cases of people arrested with ayahuasca. And at the time, internationally, it is very much a gray area. So some countries will see it as drugs are decriminalized, for example, like mm. in Portugal, but that doesn't mean that they're legal to be bought and sold on a global marketplace. It just means that penalties are dramatically reduced for possession. Um, And this is very confusing for many lawmakers who find people with ayahuasca because they typically associate drug dealers as scary dudes, right? Versus, and then they find a little old grandpa with some feathers on his head and a little <laughs> bottle of Coca-Cola full with jungle juice. And, and it's not your typical case. So I find that generally uh, any of these legal cases that are emerging are generally more than anything, a case of not knowing enough. And it's extremely important for people who are working in this field to be helping lawyers and being in the court cases, offering supplemental cultural material to say, hey, these are actually ancient or not so ancient (laughs) plant traditions that we've been working with, and they actually have tremendous medical value, look at the science and so on. So this is a kind of a push for my friends out there, any of you listeners out there. Uh, ICERS is having a big crowdfunding campaign right now. They're trying to raise just 50,000 euros to support a bunch of different legal cases that we are sure to see emerging as ayahuasca becomes more popular around the world. So, um, And ICERS also has exhaustive resources uh, kind of listing the, the known status of ayahuasca legality around the world. Yeah, the the wheels are turning. It seems wheels are turning, but there are people in, that are you know they're they're detained and they're in long, messy legal battles, and it's not clear at this point. It's and these are people clear. who are who are serving ayahuasca. People who are caught transporting ayahuasca right. is what I know of. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And where do we go from here? 
yeah, I mean, be educated, be an advocate. There are, there were great campaigns happening. We just had the hashtag thank you plant medicine campaign happen, mm-hmm. which was a sort of global outpouring of gratitude for uh, ayahuasca and different plant medicines in, a, in an attempt to kind of destigmatize or reduce fear around these plant medicines and just changing the cultural conversation. Um, many different states in the U.S., Colorado, uh, Oakland City, uh, I forget who are the other ones on the long list. It's, it's getting late here, I'm forgetting. But in any case, there's a list of different uh, cities and states in the U.S. that are actively pushing to decriminalize plant psychedelic plants, which is huge. Um, and all of people can actively get engaged in different organizing committees and online groups and read more about it. And I think just being an active member of this community, not just getting high, but also being really advocating for the value of these. That that's that's what's interesting to me anyway. You could also get high and if that's that flows to your boat, that's great too. But I really do think that there's so much uh Mm, progress to be made in this field really in this in this arena of of cognitive Mm. liberty and i think everybody can play a role in it and it's just about finding your niche and getting engaged in local Mm. initiatives are there any concerns of yours with this ayahuasca trend growing and like for example like with tobacco and alcohol these used to be like sacred medicines that got completely hijacked by the government and now you look at cigarettes and they're like fucked up for them, totally. you know? yeah like how do yeah. we stop ayahuasca from turning into this mm-hmm. in the long future or short future who knows yeah i mean it's, it's, a, be. it's a big conversation i think if anyone is really interested i recommend reading my book one plant's dream and the whole end of the book i talk about the different futures of ayahuasca we could see uh i think more than anything as we talk about mainstreaming and uh, integrating these psychedelic medicines into the pharmaceutical industry, what is kind of the underbelly of that or the implication of it or the underpinning of it is privatization and commodification. Mm. Um, And this is where things start to get a little interesting. Whose medicine is this? Whose intellectual property is this? Who's growing it? Who's distributing it? Whose right is it to be serving it? All of these different questions come up. Uh, So I guess I have two main concerns. One, again, is people who are air quotes shamans uh, serving ayahuasca to other people without proper training themselves. I think people who are typically self-trained and who are on this path don't have the benefit of having somebody more trained than them, give them feedback and Mm. learn. And that's how learning works. So if you're just saying, I'm doing good, I'm doing good, and you don't have an active feedback loop, we're social animals. This is how we learn. We need something to bounce off of. So having a community to support your growth and your teachings is vital, I think, in this work. So I think... One of my main concerns is people serving who are not qualified and who are actually putting people in danger. You can certainly imagine and being in those darker moments yourself. If you Mm. didn't have people who could take care of you, things can go really dark. Like, yeah, it's horrible. It's horrific thinking of how that could have gone if I didn't have people there. 
Right. You really want to dead or in a mental institution. Like, you know what I mean? Like it can be that extreme. So it can be that extreme for sure. So be really, really mindful. So there's that aspect, the really, you know, having good training, the good community. And then another aspect that concerns me is the, again, the, the, the supply really people buying more and more online, making their own stuff, I'm going to make a bunch of it, throw the rest of it down the drain or whatever. Mm. And what I see in the forest is an an unequal exchange here. What's happening is we see more and more extraction without production. And I think that there needs to be active growing efforts anywhere ayahuasca grows, really, in order to more uh, be more self-sufficient in producing it. Yeah. Beautifully said. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I just need to be more conscious about it and just, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we don't, just, we don't make just, the same mistakes as like with previous substances. As all you know? the other things. Or yeah. Every single sure. one. Yeah. And it's, again, it's, we, I think more than anything, I mean, I may sound a little curmudgeon sometimes, but I do think I see tremendous potential for so much beauty and innovation and creativity and mm. intercultural collaboration and new ways of the, seeing things in a way that we've never seen before at this day and age. And I think it's extremely special medicine and a beautiful opportunity that we can work with these cultures and these communities and see the world through new ways, thanks to plants. I think that's amazing. Exactly. So let, let's make that a reality by focusing totally. on that and taking action to yeah manifesting yeah. it mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> well awesome thank you so much for jumping on the podcast and having a conversation with me it's been really awesome my pleasure yeah thank you so much uh do you want to tell people at home where they can find you if they want to connect with you and what are you up to right now yeah sure so best way to, i mean i'm pretty findable online i'm just online half of the year i'm in the jungle most of the time but um (laughs) half of the time so my name sophia so p-h-i-a last name r-o-k-h-l-i-n double check the last name spelling it's a funny one (laughs) (laughs) and you can find me on instagram or twitter wherever i'm around you can write me through my website um, and I'm currently working at the Temple of the Way of Light. It's an ayahuasca retreat center in the Peruvian Amazon. We do amazing work working together with Shipibo healers, and all of our profits go towards a nonprofit organization called the Chaikuni Institute, which supports intercultural education, uh, different healthcare initiatives, environmental justice and social justice, and reforestation, including ayahuasca planting. So that's awesome. pretty much up to yeah and then i'm also on tour with comedian shane moss uh we're doing a 50 city tour in the united states of our new show called head talks which is a combination of psychedelic science and comedy so it's a fun live event (laughs) and you can find all of that information on shane's website shane m-a-u-s-s.com yeah, I actually had Shane on the podcast a couple of years oh, ago. Oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. This was during right like our, we were having like a bit of a rough patch, <laughs> like a bit of an existential crisis during our <laughs> psychedelic journey. So it was funny. It's so, yeah, it's hilarious <laughs> looking back on that podcast now. But yeah, Shane's <laughs> awesome. It's so good to see that you guys are working he's together. And, yeah. yeah, he's a very special soul. We have a very, we have too much fun together. Yeah, that's <laughs> Shouldn't awesome. be allowed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right on. Well, thank you so much, Tom. Appreciate it. Awesome. Appreciate you. Thank you very much. Cheers for watching, guys. Hope you enjoyed the video. If you're watching on YouTube, remember to leave a like and a comment below. 
And if you want to support the podcast, then feel free to become a monthly supporter on patreon.com slash yourmatetom. Have a good one, guys. I'll catch you on the next one. Peace.